This is the Fire Life. Medic 11. We still have quite a bit of fire in the water. The podcast that takes you inside Adams County Fire Rescue. Adams County Offside. And introduces you to the brave men and women keeping our community safe. When the tone drops, we're all family and we all take care of each other. Uh, right now we have an outside fire. This week on the Fire Life, firefighters Mike Eason and Brandon Donner remembering the East Troublesome and Cameron Peak fires. It was well over 100 mile per hour winds that was created in that fire zone. It was like a tornado in the middle of the mountains. Winds everywhere in all directions just taking these trees out. And the guys talk about when duty calls to other parts of the country. Right now we're going through some tough times in the wildland world where they're short-staffed like crazy. So, hey, this is where... You know, we come together as Americans and work together for for a greater cause. This is The Fire Life. Welcome to episode number 13 of The Fire Life. I'm Julie Brown and I'm the PIO of Adams County Fire Rescue. And joining me today are two superstars here at Adams County Fire Rescue. First, we have firefighter Mike Eason and also firefighter Brandon Donner. Hello. Brandon, you joined us earlier. I did. For, um, when you talked about you were deployed to the East Troublesome Fire. And Mike, you were deployed to Cameron Peak. That's and correct. the reason we're doing the podcast is because it just, obviously, the air we're breathing right now is because of the wildfires. And I just thought this is going to be very timely in that wildfires are going crazy. There's 104 active wildfires, you guys, around the U.S. right now. So first, I just kind of wanted to, from your experience, and we're going to talk about your experiences, just your take on where we are. It just seems to be getting worse and worse and worse every year. It is. And and a lot of it, um, obviously, you see California's burning every year. Uh, Colorado's do. Um, We're starting to see a lot bigger fires here in Colorado. But a lot of this smoke is coming from California. Um, Washington State has a couple big ones. Oregon has a couple big ones. And um, so that West Coast is kind of burning right now, which is, is I don't know if you saw the map. They were showing the smoke is carried all the way over to New York City and New Jersey because it's so bad, which is very surprising. But um, they did a, a huge story on that because those people have never de- dealt with something like that, you know. Yeah. But as we move forward, I think it's only going to get worse. I think Colorado has good plans for some mitigation stuff, um, whereas I think that Western Coast... Uh, California area, it's become more of a political thing to start the mitigation or not to do it. Um, so they're definitely in some turmoil on how they want to address the wildfire issue out there. What do you think about when you hear about all these fires just because of your experience? Um, I think it's just a matter of time before um, something like this happens in Colorado again. I think we're kind of in those latter part of the months where we could see something here soon. So you got deployed. So the Adams County Fire Rescue Wildland team is is relatively new. I know you guys have been working on it for a long time, but last year was a big year for us because we had two big deployments of two of the three biggest fires in Colorado history. So you got deployed first and you went to Cameron Peak, which is the largest fire in Colorado history. Um, Did you even know what you were getting into when you went out there, what that experience would be like? I think we know we're getting ourselves into, but not knowing the extent of what our assignment's going to be once we arrive. Um, Once we arrived, we arrived at uh, the Budweiser Event Center, and we staged for a little bit, and then we got our assignment. Um, Of course, we're, you know, still a handful of miles away from the um, incident itself, Um, but when we arrived, we can tell that we were definitely in the heart of the incident at that time. Were you surprised at how quickly things changed for you guys? 
Yeah, definitely. Definitely a changed um, day-to-day for us. It was uh, uh, things turned quite rapidly uh, mid-deployment for our unit. That was the same for your fire, right? Um, ours, ours was a little more expected. Ours hadn't been going on as long as, as the Cameron Peak was. So uh, they were definitely uh, more involved fires by the time they got up there. And, and then there was a, a break for him in, in Cameron Peak. Not that they didn't have to work break, but like, hey, it's starting to slow down. We got some moisture. And then it kind of blew up on all of them again. We're with us. We got there at a point where it was like, oh, we can, the thought was that we can still hold this fire. And um, we got in there at 13,000 acres or just over. And every day for three or four days straight, each day that they would tell us, oh, it's coming, it's coming. And, and you know, we're mitigating around structures. And we just really weren't putting on a, a big um, effort for an assault directly to it. Um, I know that's kind of hard in that terrain that's up there, but um, we knew once it crossed 125 or Colorado 125 that that thing was going to be gone, and that's exactly what happened when it came down. Um, it it started creeping towards the road, and then it spot fired over the road. And it's they said on the news because they keep 24 hour you know track of it. They said it ran, you know, 90,000 acres in 24 hours, but it, it pretty much did that in, in six hours because it was 3 p.m. when it when it crossed that road, 2 to 3 p.m., and we were down there. And then by 7, 8, 9 p.m., it was all the way down into town. And when you pulled out of that, that uh, fire area back to the main road, uh, you could see the the destruction that had just occurred just as fast as it moved. So yeah, we were hoping it wasn't going to get to that road, but it did. So I want to get back to more about your experience, but I want to talk to you guys about, cause I got, you guys updated me with pictures throughout the whole um, experience. I was shocked that kind of the schedule that you guys were on. And I don't think that people realize when you get deployed for two weeks, what that looks like. So Mike, if you can kind of talk about, the actual schedule because it it's long yeah we were assigned to the day shift at division r so we were working from basically 6 a.m to 6 a or excuse me 6 a.m to 6 p.m um with a couple extended nights into like almost 10 or 11 o'clock at night and you guys stayed in tents right uh, we stayed in tents but we had a breakdown camp every night could do tell active the fire was there was no we had a we were covering like 22 miles of highway but we were told we can stay anywhere on that division or that highway we wanted to but we had a breakdown every night due to the um smoke in the areas banking down within the canyon so it was for us there was no set camp it was every night was a different we broke down camp every night uh, one night we worked long hours to protect a property and we basically slept in the truck. Wow. So at, at any point did you get scared? That. Why are you laughing? I'm not laughing. I don't think it's scared. I mean, I think, yeah. I mean, you, you never know. I mean, we did have a moment where we had to, the wind changed on us and had a scary yeah. moment where we had some fire that uh, licked the side of the brush truck. Oh, that's why you're caused coming. some damage. So yeah. I wouldn't say it was scary, but it was definitely eye opening. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have any moments? With- uh, we didn't have any. I mean, we we got we had some close calls with with the fire just on that one twenty five corridor because we were still trying to protect some houses. But you know, I I did an interview with with the with Nine News a while ago, and that was one of the questions I was asked. And 
the biggest thing I try to stress, and I think Mike can speak to it too, is we're we're trained for this, so we're watching and keeping our head on a swivel, as they as they say, to not get ourselves in that position. And and firemen do die in these wildfires, and and definitely accidents happen. But that's where the training is. Like, hey, some I got something to fall back on. I'm not you know just running around in circles up here. I I got some some intuition of what's going on just from the training that we've gained over, you know, the little bit of time that we've been doing this. So, so when people watch on the news and they see wildland firefighters, I think there's not a lot of footage, right? Cause you're kind of way back there, but it, it what you see is kind of just a little bit of digging or whatever, but that there's a lot more than that you guys do. So can you kind of walk me through some of the things that you were doing? What a wildland firefighter does? Yeah. I'm all at, all at Mike go. Cause they did he he did a full he got to do the full deployment where i only did three quarters of a deployment so he was busier than i was um for us we did a lot of stuff um we did a lot of structure protection which is uh setting up um sprinklers and porta ponds and mark three pumps you know finding water sources such as rivers and uh, porta ponds for houses that didn't have any um static water sources so we did a lot of um structure protection we did a lot of uh, mitigation for trees and around houses. Uh, we also um, worked with the helicopters doing some backburns. We worked with some hot shots. Um, we worked with helo helicopters doing aerial ass- assaults or water drops. Describe backburns for me because I don't know if everybody knows. Uh, basically, what that you're, is. Um, you're you're creating fire to put out fire. So a dozer line will create a dozer line um, with a a bulldozer and then you'll basically burn off green to get to the black as to uh, kind of put fire with fire and put fire out so we would have to burn green areas of the forest to the areas of the black in a way to um, the, the biggest thing with it is when you're putting the fire on the ground you're trying to meet that frontal it's basically putting a frontal assault on the fire coming with fire so by the time it by the time it comes down or meets that fire, the energy is taken out of it because a lot of the fuels in front of it have already burned out. So hopefully, a lot of times when you'll see it is um, around structures, they'll try to burn away from the structure. So where we did it in the at Troublesome, up uh, the Cabin Creek area, we burned up a hill because fire runs uphill faster than it does downhill. So as the fire was coming up over the other side, it met it and then they ran out of energy because it had nowhere to go because both fires ran into each other. So it takes the energy um, out of the run of the fire. Did all the training that you guys do, because firefighters do a ton of training, and I know that Wildland does prepare you for all of this stuff. Like, did you feel like you knew, like, oh, yeah, this we got this? Because training doesn't look like what you guys actually did. No, uh, training is different just in the Wildland realm. Like, we're not, a lot of times, there's times where we go do some prescribed burns, and but a lot of times prescri- prescription burns or the ones that we've been on are out at, at the arsenal, which is a lot of grassland. So a lot of it is um, very flashy, fast-burning fuels um, where it burns tons of acres quick, right? Where when we're up in the mountains and we're in these trees and, and all this undergrowth, um, it's a lot. I mean, it, it can still burn fast because the high amount of heat, but it's a lot heavier fire. It's a lot uh, thicker um, vegetation. So it's a lot hotter too. I mean, not to say that the grass fires don't burn hot, but they're just, they're a lot of times they're really quick, right? So 
um, the training is different because it's not like here on the structure side where we can set stuff on fire in a building and then practice going in and putting it out. Um, we're not setting large trees on fire and letting them burn, you know, and, and digging lines around them. And that's the thing in the wildland side is we're not using a ton of water unless it gets close to, you know, homes and structures. Um, a lot of times we're letting it burn through areas, um, as long as there's no threats to a lot of, or to life or property, um, itself. So why did you want to be a wildland firefighter? I know you guys have a lot of options on different things that you can do. Why did you pick to be on the wildland team? I think for me, it all started back with uh, the coal seam fire back in, oh, I want to say it was, you know, early 2000s and the Hayman. Uh, it was kind of like we were out of resources here in the state. So um, they basically paid for whoever wanted to go be a wildland firefighter. And I think my first red card was signed by, hand signed by Governor Bill Owens. Wow. So I still have it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, but I think it's more, you know, just kind of, this is the state we live in. This is the state we want to protect. And I think it's just one of those unique um, firefighting certifications that you hold that uh, you're trying to protect your state and the people that live here. Did you, by your experience, did you get more into it? Like, hey, I, I might want to do more of this or did I that do. check yep, the box? I do want to, I want to keep checking boxes and mm -hmm. um, there's always a need. And I think... Uh, you know, utilizing myself to be an asset to this organization in the state is probably what most of us want to do that are on the wildland team. Why do you want to be a, on the wildland I, I think mine kind of falls in line with with what Mike was talking about. I think the biggest thing is, is um, I like helping and protecting our district, but I also like um, our name getting out there. So people have an idea of who Adams County is. We do care about our citizens and we do care about our district directly, but we also care about the whole state of the Colorado. And on the bigger scheme of things, if it starts moving in that direction, um, we'd like to show that, you know, we're valuable to the United States as a whole, you know, when um, right now we're going through some tough times in the wildland world where they're short staffed like crazy. So um, I think it's, it's unique and in a neat position to be in when you can go, you know, say to Wyoming or Oregon or Washington and help protect someone's home because they're, they don't have enough firefighters there to protect all those homes. So, you know, we go in there, we can help, um, get, get everything, um, protected or start working towards getting everything protected, um, all the way from Colorado. And I think that's really cool. And I, and I think it's, it shows to those people that, Hey, this is where, you know, we come together as Americans and work together for, for a greater cause. But I like wildland, um, as a whole, just because of the volume of, of fire you see the, it's never the same. There's always something different each time that each day when we went out there, it was way different. Um, so, uh, we've been on big fires here at home and, and that's still not near the amount of fire that you see when you're out there. It's, it's unbelievable to, to witness it right in front of you, you know? Did that, some, did that light something as well in you that, I mean, I know it's a rotation that there's a lot of people on the wildland team. So, you know, you want to give people a shot at it, but did that make you go, okay, this is, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to concentrate my time. Well, uh, a lot of that comes back to my, my days when I worked for Southwest Adams County fire and, and we were trying to get the wildland program going. Um, 
that's where a lot of it started is like, hey, show us where the benefit is. Hey, show us how the trainings work. Show us how this works. And then once the merge happened, we kind of took a, a pause because we were trying to get everybody together, get everyone on the same page. And now that we're, for the most part, you know, five years into this merge, six years into this merge, um, now we're starting to establish more for our organization. And that's what it is for me. It's like, hey, we're better than better than this. We have some some departments around us that have no interest in it, and that's where I'm like, we're we're a big boy fire department. We're um, getting up there in, in numbers. We're almost you know just over. I think we're at 95 career staff members now, line staff members now. So we're almost up to 100. So we're starting to get to that that number, uh, you know, around that 100 member mark where we're going to be able to start participating in some of these these big events and natural disasters and wildfires, one of the bigger ones that, that happens every year. There's tons of them, right? So a lot of times we saw in the news some heartbreaking stories. And we even had people at the department that their families lost cabins, lost homes that they've had for years. Did you run across any, did you have any interaction with people um, on your fire that either you helped save their structure or you had to see them lose their their house. Um, we didn't see. We seen a lot of houses when we first got there that were, you know, um, prior to us arriving that were set up for structure protection, and we had a spot fire occur, and a lot of those houses were lost due to the intensity of the fire and how fast it was running. But we did have a incident where we did save a property um, called Little Bear Big Bear, um, which was kind of like a um, family heirloom from a guy who built both his house and this uh, little bear for his family to come up and enjoy their, um, the, the home that he built for his family. So I think, um, afterwards, the, the division of wildlife up there asked who was there that night and who stayed up countless hours protecting that home. Cause the fire did burn right up to it and did take some of the fence line, but we did get to meet the owners afterwards and they wrote a letter to the department stating how grateful they were. And we got a, and I got to go because that's what we do. That's what you do. Everyone calls. So Goodbye. Mike Easton's out. Okay, out. Actually, I got that letter. I remember seeing that letter that they wrote um, to our chief and thanking our firefighters for, for making a stand. I, I, You know, you guys go out and you, you do a lot of these jobs, but you never hear back from the community. And to, to hear that back, I thought was really nice for the guys that went out. And, and that's that goes back to what I was saying a little bit earlier where we could go to these other states um, you know, talking to another, some of the people from another agency, um, they were out, um, across state lines. I want to say it was Washington state somewhere up there and come to find out they didn't know it, but their fire chief's family lived in that state and they were out there protecting a fire and their the family of the fire chief saw their, their department vehicle and wrote a huge letter to the city saying, Hey, you guys know you don't have to do this, but you guys chose to because that's who you guys are. We appreciate the efforts that you were bringing us all the way from Colorado. And that's where to me, it's something huge. You know, you get your name out there as a whole, but then, you know, you get other, other agencies from around the nation get to see and get to know who Adams County is. You know, when we, we talk to them, we conversate, we, we work in groups with them. So then it kind of, we're all firemen and wherever you go, firemen are pretty much the same, but you get an idea of how other agencies operate. You get to see what they do. They get to see what you do. And, and I think that's huge. 
you know, people talk about how, what a small world it is. And, and you look at the broad picture of the fire service and it's huge, but for some reason, everybody knows everybody within the fire service, you know? So, and I, and I like that aspect to it. Did you, you also had kind of a personal experience of you were helping defend a ranch, right? Yeah. The Sea Lazy U Ranch, um, up off of Colorado 125. It's a, um, what they call a dude ranch. What? I, you don't know what a dude ranch is? A dude ranch. It was new to me at the time, but where people can pay money to come cowboy. Yeah. So I thought that was unique and I didn't know you could do that, but um, they were large. Don't quote me on the numbers, but I, I, I think they have over a hundred horses up there yep. in that ranch area and they had to evacuate all of them. And then we, they have tons of cabins. So we helped with the... Um, the cabins themselves or saving the cabins themselves. We did have, we did lose some, I think in the last podcast I talked about it, but we had, you know, 50 buildings or something like that on that property. And I think we saved like 38 of them, maybe 40 of them. So they did lose some buildings. Some were small out, out buildings, some were actual cabins and the historical barn, which was very sad to see they lost that. So We'll have more with firefighter Brandon Donner right after these messages. Do you hear that? That constant beeping noise? Or has it been going on for so long that you've completely tuned it out? Did you know that smoke alarms should be replaced when they are 10 years old? They play a key role in home fire escape plans. Working smoke alarms give you early warning so you can get out quickly. If they aren't in working condition, let's make sure and get them replaced. Smoke alarms should be in every bedroom, outside of every sleeping area, and one on every level of your home. It is best to use interconnected smoke alarms when one smoke alarm sounds, they all sound. Test all smoke alarms at least once a month by pressing the test button to be sure the alarm is working. All smoke alarms should be on the ceiling or high on a wall. Keep smoke alarms away from the kitchen to reduce false alarms. They should be at least 10 feet away from the stove. According to the National Fire Protection Association, almost three of every five home fire deaths resulted from fires in homes with no smoke alarms or no working smoke alarms. No smoke alarms were presented in two out of every five home fire deaths. For more information on smoke and carbon monoxide alarms, reach out to me, Bianca Chancho, Life Safety Educator at Adams County Fire Rescue. Now back to the fire life with firefighter Brandon Donner and Julie Brownman. You know, you guys kind of make fun of me when I say, were you scared? You guys kind of get this look. However, I do remember that I got pictures. It was when it was just blowing up and it was going so fast. And it's actually, I was looking it up today. It's the fastest moving fire in Colorado history. Yeah. There had to be a point of view where you were like, holy cow. I'm not saying scared, but like, this is something. Yeah. Um, And that's right when it hit that, when it jumped 125 for... I'll give you probably the first hour we stayed back there and we're managing, but fire creates its own weather. And that was one of the things I was reading. And I think originally they were saying that the winds within there were, you know, 75 to 90 miles per hour. And then I had read another story on it later because we didn't have time to take wind speed and check weather. I mean, we do that as part of our, our, um, you know, hourly checks or every couple hour checks while we're out there when we have some time to, but when we're working, we don't. So they have someone designated to. So we didn't have time to check the wind because we so much was going on. Um, but I think they are saying that it was well over 100 mile per hour winds that was created in that fire zone by the fire itself. And that's when we got pulled out. And on our way out, the the, the I don't want to say scary part, but unbelievable 
thing that we were witnessing was fully grown trees, not dead, you know, healthy as can be falling over onto the road, onto the as side of the road. As we're driving out, you just see this wind just, it was like, it was like a tornado in the middle of the mountains without the, you know, the, the spinning effect of it. It was just winds everywhere in all directions, just taking these trees out, which was unbelievable to witness so what's communication like so what's happening at this point so you have an engine boss right Mm -hmm. and so how what during this time so we're on an engine which is three to four people it's a pickup truck with water and some tools on it and normally we're assigned to a task force and that task force will have anywhere from five to seven other engines on it, sometimes a little bit more. So total on our team, you know, we're going to have 15 to maybe 21, 24 people. Um, but we're all in our respective groups. So I stayed with our engine with our other two employees. Um, but we communicate with the, the five to seven, you know, engines as a whole. And then we have one boss. Well, we'll communicate radio wise back and forth. And for the most part, it was, it was pretty clear. Um, when you're trying to communicate outside of our group, because, um, we don't have, um, these repeaters, uh, up on the mountain that, that we can hit like we have here. Uh, so sometimes the, the communication is very in and out and very shoddy, if you will. So a lot of times the task force leader would have to face to face with us or specifically find out where we are and then have conversations with us to relay messages because the radios weren't getting out. Again, you were on the East Troublesome Fire. Didn't you guys get cut off from a group at some point? Or was that Mike that I think... It, not- it might have been Mike. Um, we we did we were separated as a whole because we were trying to um, start a bunch of pumps and sprinklers and get everything going. So we didn't stay in our... I mean, it was our group on this one main road, but mm-hmm. each, group, each engine was going to different structures instead of as a team going. We were just taking our three people and going starting sprinklers here hey this fire's come and start the the sprinklers here and the pumps here and hit the next house hit the next house and we're leapfrogging each other but we weren't really going everywhere together that was the only you guys were working really long days really long days but did it go by fast yeah so mike mike's deployment was a little bit different than mine because when we went out there it was in october so um very dry fire was moving quick um but the first three days we did 16 hour days, then the fire blew up and we did, I want to say two 20 hour days. And then we went back to uh, 16, like back to 20 hour days. Yeah. And then we went, um, cause we were supposed to, we went to bed at like two and we were supposed to sleep till uh, where they wanted us back to the fire at eight, but it was a drive in. So we still got up at six o'clock. Um, instead of intense at that point, no, we, we lucked out because where the fire was, they had the whole YMCA winter park and they commandeered that whole thing. And it was nothing but fire trucks and firefighters at all the cabins up there. And it can sleep hundreds of people up there. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's massive. So we all stayed in those and then, um, those back to back busy days. And then I think we had like two 16 hour days and then it snowed. So then we went back to 12 hour days and we had a bunch of 12 hour days. So, um, I only did 11 day deployment where Mike did a 16 day deployment because although my, my fire or the fire that I was on was 198,000 acres and the one Mike was on was like 208,000 acres or somewhere near that. Um, 
the fire ran so quick in one day, then that snow came and kind of put a damper on it. And then they were able to get the forest service guys up on the hillsides to, to start get, putting out hot spots and what they called cold trailing, where you take your glove off and you feel for heat on the ground and look for, for embers and hot spots. I just thought that was an awesome experience for you guys, because as I don't think a lot of people know, firefighters, the amount of fires that you actually fight are minimal compared to, I think what the public thinks. Yeah. But in your experience, and you got two special ones, you guys got to do exactly what you wanted to do, which was help, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. And and that was the biggest thing uh, going up there. We we got to dedicate our services to the state of Colorado. Since we're, since we're a new team, um, it was the perfect year to kind of get our feet wet and, and learn. Um, we did have some guys that go out with other agencies to get some more experience before we took our own team out. And then we were able to, to take off of that and kind of build our own team and start building our own experiences and getting our own guys out there to get experience. So, um, the biggest thing for me though was, and, and I think for some of the other guys was that Cameron peak and troublesome, the two biggest fires, no other way to kind of start getting our team rolling except for the, you know, Oh, I know it was, it was a huge start. So what haven't I asked that you think the people would be interested, the public would be interested in that job because you just, you just see very minimal of, I think what you guys do. I felt I, I got to have more of an insight, but, um, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you just thought was so interesting? Um, I don't, I I wouldn't say interesting, maybe something that the, the public might, um, not know or may fall find interest in as a whole is, you know, uh, wildland firefighting is a different realm. We're not running around with a bunch of hoses and water like we are for a house fire. Um, we're actually, you know, digging down to the dirt to try and make fire breaks or using bulldozers to mow trees down or using saws to cut trees down to try and build large gaps in between, you know, the trees and, and the, the vegetation where a majority of the fire will run um, quickly or burn fast and hot. So it's not, we're not doing direct suppression with water. Most of the time it's, it's normally indirect by taking fuel out from, from the front of it or, or the direction it's headed, you know? Um, and, and I don't think a lot of people understand that that's why we have, um, those helicopters will drop water and retardant in the planes, but that's cause they're just trying to slow the growth as it's moving, they're not going to put the whole fire out with a bucket of water, you know? Yeah. So we have to take those fuels out in order to, to try and to make a stop. Some fire areas too, people, uh, question or look at like, why are they letting it burn? How come they're not going to fire is good for the regrowth of, of areas. Um, they've proven that through a lot of science and, and studies. And so some areas, um, are so dried out and dead that, you burn off that vegetation and normally within a year, you'll start to see the green vegetation coming through. Obviously it takes years and years for all the trees and, and, and stuff to come back, but, um, you'll see the ground kind of, um, turn over basically and, and new life come up from there. So, um, a lot of times you'll see where they'll just let some fire burn through areas and just monitor and make sure it's not going to burn down homes. It's not going to kill anybody. Uh, stuff like that. Did you, uh, would you ever want to be in a different life? One of those hot shots? 
It's a whole different kind of person. It, it is. And maybe in my younger days, I mean, I'm not <laughs> super old like now. now. <laughs> I'm not super old now, but, um, I'm definitely too old to just start being a hot shot. No, I know, but I'm saying like, <laughs> like in a different path, would you ever go, God, I wish I had done something like that? Uh, I, I do. Cause when we go up there, you see some of those guys and, and the camaraderie and the teamwork. And a lot of those guys are like us just in a different realm where, you know, we're all best buddies. I mean, we, a lot of us, um, hang out outside of work and, the only friends we have is each other because it's just the the lifestyle of of the fire service. But um, you see, in the wildland world, it's this, it's the same thing. A lot of those guys have worked together for years and years and years. Um, been on lots of big fires together. So you kind of look back at it and you're like, dang, I, sh- I should have tried that to get some of that experience, and then came over to the structure world. But not many people do that, though, right? No, there's there's some. A lot of it when they do. Um, go that route. It has to do with the pay. And that's, that's one of the things that people have asked me, um, honestly, quite a bit over the last couple months with all this stuff with the Biden minute, Biden administration, um, increasing the minimum wage for the federal firefighters. So that's, that's huge for the federal firefighters, but people are like, you don't only get $15 an hour to go on these fires. Right. And, and that's not how it works. The reason why minimum wage is now $15 an hour is because on those uh, strictly wildfire crews, what they're doing is when there's not fires going on, they're doing what they call mitigation. So they're cutting trees down, they're cleaning up the the dead um, beetle kill and the and the brush and um, anything that's going to help the progression of fires through areas that they really don't want fire to burn through. So they're trying to clean it up. Um, and this goes back to like we talked about before, the political side of stuff. Is that the right thing to do? Well. Colorado thinks it's the right thing to do. So, to do. so they, they actually do a lot of mitigation and cleaning up of these down and dead fuels and, and try to get those out of, here, out of there because that's what's pushing the fire along. So um, so is it, what's the 15 like With that, that's what I was going to go back to is with that, that's what they're doing for $15 an hour. The mitigation. The mitigation part. Once they get assigned to a fire, mm-hmm. now their pay goes up. And I can't speak to what that is. I know they get hazard pay, but I know it's tremendously more. It's, you know, probably upper 20s to, to around that 27, maybe $30 an hour when you're actually, they get that hazard pay. Um, and don't quote me on those numbers. I just know they're not, it's not the base, you know, $15 an hour to go put your life on the line in the middle of a fire. Mm-hmm. Um, they're getting more now, obviously when you sit there and look at it, there's a lot of people that would say, I wouldn't go fight a fire for $30 an hour, you know, or, or 50 or $50 yeah, an yeah. hour or a hundred dollars an hour. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's all on how you, how you uh, perceive it. But I just think it's cool as we wrap up the podcast that, and when I was talking to people during the wildfire season and what you guys were doing, they're like, but it's Adams County fire that so many on the north side, I mean, we don't have mountains next to us, obviously, that you guys can have that experience, help these small communities that you get this interaction with that means so much to our state, mm-hmm. right? That's gotta be very fulfilling. It's it's very fulfilling and it's, it's huge to us as a whole. When you get to the end of those 16 days, um, and like I said, the last one I did was only 12 days, but I know these guys are burned out and I know they're like, gosh, I can't wait to go home. But at the same time, when you get home, 
you finally take that that first shower to clean up and you're like okay did you not shower the whole time well so when again i was at ymca oh. so a lot of these yeah. times and i don't know sometimes they have at camp they'll have those portable showers yeah um but there's a lot of times like those hot shot crews they're up in the middle of the fire area yeah. for those 16 18 days they they get food dropped off to them they get it brought out to them so there's a lot of those guys that you just don't have an opportunity or nowhere to shower. So when they come across lakes or streams or something like that, um, some water source, then they're going to try and freshen up a little bit the best they can clean their face, whatever. But a lot of times they don't get to see a shower until they get back home. And, and you sit back and look at it. You're like, gosh, I'm glad to be home. But at the same time, you, you realize how welcomed and, and, thankful your efforts were to that, that community, you know, yeah. you see it all the time on the news. I mean, it's day in and day out. You're driving through these towns and where there's a fire and the citizens are lining the roads and they're yeah. holding signs and they're, they're very thankful. They're very thankful for, for the people that are willing to stand up and help protect those communities. Yeah. So I think it's awesome that you guys had the experience to do that. So that was episode number 13. I know you have ideas what we should do for 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19, 20. Yeah. I don't know what they are yet, but I'm sure you'll tell me. Well, I just wanted to remind you or let you know that today is Friday the 13th and we just wrapped up episode 13. Damn. Yeah. Nice work. So. We'll see you next week. Medic 11. Engine 11. You've been listening to The Fireline. A podcast by Adams County Fire Rescue. Adams County Update. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And follow our arson dog, Riley, on Facebook at Arson K9 Riley. Roger, we've ordered two more rescues for you. And check out our webpage, acfpd.org, for more on the services we offer, fire prevention information, and how to become a firefighter at Adams County Fire Rescue. Medic 11. Thanks for listening, and please stay safe.